Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon Pierce, how are you today? I'm doing I feel good. like I hadn't seen you in forever. Well, you kind of haven't. I know. It's been a while. I mean, I've seen you through Zoom, but we haven't been it in the same room. It was before Christmas. It was last year. It was. Yeah. Do I look another year older? Don't no, answer that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. You do have a little birthday coming up, though. It's a big birthday coming up. I wasn't going to say that. I so, know. I know, know. But at least whenever I'm turning the next number, <laughs> I've got 24 of my closest friends that will be with me on a big ship i know you always have to have your birthday during tax season though you know and that's a really bad time for me well then if you would we would celebrate your birthday oh that's true everybody's always gone for my but i'm not having a big birthday this year uh it's not a big one but he's a a july 4th yeah born on the 4th of july and holland's birthday is july 4th my daughter no I don't think I knew that. that. Yeah. So I'll tell you real quick and then I'll digress. But um, so my birthday is July 4th. Lauren was due on uh, Halloween, Uh but she was late and she was actually born on November 1st, which is the day my dad passed away. Uh So interesting birthday there. Holland was born on July 4th, my birthday, and Landon is an April Fool's baby. No kidding. How crazy is that? <laughs> I swear I didn't know that Holland was born on your birthday, but yeah. how cool is that? Oh, she was determined to come. I- I'll oh, tell well, you that no, story. No, no, no surprise with oh, that my child. Gosh. I was born the day before my mother's birthday. Oh. Yeah, my mother's birthday is February 13th. Mine's February 12th. 12th. Yep. Wow. But um, it's easy to remember my birthday because, you know, you've read the thing about all the similarities between Kennedy and Lincoln, mm-hmm. yeah. I was born on Lincoln's birthday the year Kennedy was shot. Wow, now that's interesting math. I know. I'm, maybe <laughs> we should multiply up. those numbers out in your birthday <laughs> and go play the lottery. That Not would be a cool. bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so and I think we got another great show, and we have someone in house with us today, which we hadn't had in a little while, which is good. Usually, the only people we have in here with us is Nancy and Sandy. Yeah, but you did have. You did have Sandy's headset on. <laughs> I did. Yes. Yeah. I made some adjustments. So we have Mr. Devin Miller in with us today. Welcome, Devin. Thank you. Very good to be here. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've seen you as well, and so it's always nice to to see your shining face. <laughs> and and Devin, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about today, and then give our listeners um, a little brief bio on you and uh, why you think this topic is important. Sure. Well, if I can, what I'd like to talk about today is a little bit about my DNP project, but not just as a dissemination, but more like uh, as an example for other people who are out there thinking or maybe playing around with the idea of going back to get their postmaster's doctorate degree and don't exactly know what the nuts and bolts of that might look like, like what their day to day would would be, what the process actually is of constructing a DNP project from nothing and then seeing it out through completion. So I just talk a little bit about what the experience was that I went through and um, some things that made it easier, some things that made it harder, and ultimately, you know, kind of where we ended up at the end. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, this is a topic that's very interesting to me, obviously, watching Sharon go through it and me wondering why in the heck is she doing this. <laughs> um, but, but but anyway, um, so I, I can't wait to hear about some of this. So for our listeners that might not know Devin, I mean, Sharon and I know you pretty mm-hmm. well and mm-hmm. have known you for a while. I mean, you, you know, knew you when you were a student. Yes, I know. Um, I and was the recipient of the CRNA Financial Planning You were. That's exactly right. Oh, did I you know not, that? No, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, you were. just learning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Helped you go to school. Yes. Yeah, and and you know he uh, he worked with Sarah some, mm-hmm. and um, and you know now he's working at at the Baptist, and so tell our listeners a little bit about you. Okay, great. Yeah, sure. So I'm Devin Miller. I'm originally from a little small town outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, um, that nobody's ever heard of, and I went to well, well. What is I'm, it? I'm, so I'm from Willow Springs, which is I tiny. know. Well, because you know Johnson County, but yes. most people don't. But uh, then went to nursing school at the University of North Carolina, graduated in 2011, and just went straight into critical care after that. Okay. I did five years of critical care, uh, two as a travel nurse before I went back to grad school, and then um, graduated from the Wake Forest Nurse Anesthesia Program in 2018 as a CRNA, and then most recently finished uh, my doctorate degree from their postmaster's program in August of 2020, just this past year. Well, well you got you got yours before I did, even. Mm. I didn't graduate until 2021. 2022, I said. 2022. Is you said 2022? Six months ago uh, now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to pick your brain a little bit anyway. So, Lauren, my oldest daughter, and Sharon knows this, but she's in nursing school at UNCG right now, and um, is is graduating in May, and her goal is to go back to anesthesia school, nice. and she's got a, a job somewhere, and uh, would would love to hear both of your viewpoint kind of off air about that. So great, um, I'd be happy to. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh right. no, I'll never give my opinion. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't so, have to laugh. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> Sharon and opinion that would never go together. No, I mean, you know. That's so silly. <laughs> All right, Devin. So tell us, you know, why why this topic? Why you think it's important? And, and kind of kick us off there. Okay, great. So um, it started. I was asked to give this talk at a district one and two meeting um, in June about my DMP project. It was about six weeks or so before I was graduating, and I had noticed. I'd been to several of these kind of state meetings before. So I'm in North Carolina. So the NCNA puts on these meetings and a lot of them have a session about why you should go back to get your doctorate degree. Um, and the whole exhibit hall there is full of, you know, schools saying, come to our school, come to our program. Like we, 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 this is what we have to offer, but there weren't very many sessions on what it actually looks like. And I would hear the presenter, you know, saying these things that I felt like, I couldn't really envision myself in that role because it, it seemed like they just skipped the whole step of actually doing the project. And they were talking about what they were doing, you know, years and years later with their doctorate degrees, but not actually the school process. So when Ooh. I was asked to give this talk, I decided that that's the way that I wanted to gear my presentation was more toward what my experience has been so far as I was kind of coming up toward graduation. You know, I was, I was in the process of like crunching data and finishing my papers and and right at that stage. And so that I just kind of wanted to share like how I got to that point and the things that made it harder and easier and what the biggest challenges were and the most rewarding parts of it were. And hopefully to be an example for the people in the audience there who were listening and thinking, kind of playing around with the idea of going back themselves, you know, maybe they had heard it or maybe a mentor had gone back or something. And so they kind of knew that it existed, but they didn't really know what it actually meant. So that's what kind of what I wanted to, to share. Well, I guess the next question Jeremy needs to ask because it's the very question he asked me. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I was first going to ask, you know, what his DMP project was, and then I'll ask that question okay. if that's okay. Okay, great. So, yeah, I, so I'll talk you through it. So, my DMP project started with a problem in the workplace. Okay, so I'll give you, I'll okay. just give you some brief background. Where I work at HM Health Wake Forest Baptist, um, for the longest time, something like 40 years, we didn't deliver any babies at our hospital. That was done down the road at a community hospital. Uh, they serviced sort of all of the obstetric uh, care in the community. And then in 2019, we decided we were going to open a birth center. And so babies were going to be born at our hospital again. And in the meantime, we had this very strange relationship with the other hospital that I've never seen anywhere else. Um, but basically we would lend 
for lack of a better word, our anesthesia department to right. the other hospital. And so they, the CRNAs who worked in the obstetric area there were, were not wake employees, but the physician anesthesiologists were. Right. So mm-hmm. very um, interesting model, and also and then considering the babies, if they were bad babies, they sent them to then they sent them back to, them to, to the other hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were born in one hospital and went back to the other hospital. And, yep. and just for a little um, background for folks who aren't in North Carolina and don't know this situation, mm-hmm. um, these hospitals are not real friendly with each other either, which made it even more interesting. Yes, they are the the big competitors in the area, yeah. and they're like literally five minutes away from each other yeah <laughs> uh so you know if i'm on the 11th floor now you can almost see the other hospital from where i'm at yeah um so then to fast forward to 2019 we decided to open this birth center and we kind of just reabsorbed all of our anesthesia providers and it, now they worked at, on site now and they were kicking and screaming there by the way kicking and yeah. screaming. <laughs> there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth yes <laughs> um that's because CRNAs love change. <laughs> now, this was from the physician anesthesiologist. Oh, yeah. yeah, the CRNAs well, stayed well, the, there. You know, we all are attracted to the profession for the same reasons. <laughs> yes. So we actually had to hire CRNAs internally to work right. up into the birth center. So that's how I got my job is because there was a call out that said, hey, is anybody interested in staffing this new birth center we're opening? And so I, someone, someone came up to me and said, you know, we're looking for people. And I said, this is 2019. I've barely been out for a year. I don't know if I really want to like kind of pigeonhole myself into this specialty yet. I'm still just kind of, there's a ton I'm learning still every day in inpatient anesthesia, but I would do like 50, 50. And so my boss said, you know, sounds good if you can find somebody else to do the other half. So I I looked around and I found someone, I recruited my friend who um, wanted to do it. And so, now that's my job now as I do 50% of my time in inpatient and 50% of my time in OB. So I, I okay. do like eight week blocks. Okay. So the CRNAs were hired internally and then the RNs, uh, many of the RNs were as well, but not all of them had obstetric experience. Many of them did, but many, many, many of them did not. And so there suddenly was a lot of on the job training. Okay. So here's the problem. Yep. How do we address like the orientation process? Because we're already open. We opened July 1st, which was like half a year earlier than we were supposed to, because it was supposed to be like an end of year thing. So instead of opening in December, it got accelerated and we opened in July. So then there's this big scramble where it's like, is anybody interested in working in this birth center? Great, you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) So there was so much learning that was happening just entirely on on the job that over the course of you know the first year that we were opened, we had sort of several near miss events that were related to these this kind of like rushed job that maybe could have been handled a little bit better or prepared for a little bit better. And so, here's some examples. I'll just share some things that because I think transparency is key. So some of the things that we saw were things like extended phenylephrine infusions that were run mm-hmm. for too long, um, premature transfer of the patient out of the PACU from the procedure area, unnoticed or unreported problems with the patients such as bleeding or abnormal vital signs that you know just happened without being aware of them, without the anesthesia team being aware of them, um, airway obstructions with intervention without intervention. And this was all happening in the PACU, which is kind of like under the anesthesia department's purview, Mm. you know. So um, I'll just reiterate, there wasn't any patient harm that happened from all of this, but we all noticed them. We all kind of cringed and we were all like, "Mm, we really needed to address this and we need to do better at this. Um, And then the the problems kept recurring as we hired new people who also didn't have obstetric experience. And they they were just like almost like thrown into the job and expected to be great obstetric nurses without the institution providing the support there. Right. And then the third thing was the RNs themselves were so exasperated and they were eager to learn and be better. And they, they voiced that frustration. So as all this was happening, the physician anesthesiologists who had, you know, we had kind of like reclaimed from our, from our competitor hospital there, they, it was like really stark to them that this was happening because they had been at a well-oiled obstetric machine right. now for some for like decades, literally. Right. And so they they got really frustrated and felt like something needed to be done. So um, 
because it was the OR, the procedure area, the PACU, all of these things are like anesthesia's kind of domain. We felt like we were the team that needed to address it. And so I addressed it. Okay. So really one thing that I'd love to get across here is, is, is just that like we see these problems in our workplace. They happen all over, all over the place. They happen all the time. And we say, can we fix these problems? And the answer is like almost never. No, like you can fix the problems and um, you just have to figure out like what is an efficient way to do it. What's an effective solution kind of manifest the energy that you need to tackle it and then concoct a method for measuring whether it was successful or not. So your actual project was a training course yes. of sorts? Mm-hmm, it was. So what I did was I created and implemented an on-the-job professional development program for the nurses in the obstetric PACU and devised and kind of taught the anesthesia portion of all the new higher orientations from that point forward for the year that I was undergoing the project. So have they institutionalized your project? Yeah, so now the now part of the new hire project for on the obstetric unit is that the, all the videos and lectures that I gave were recorded, so now it's part of like their annual compliance. Wow, and he's getting royalties from this. <laughs> and now he's famous. Right? Uh, monetization <laughs> comes later. <laughs> As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. All right, so we know a little bit about your project. Now I'm gonna, Sharon kind of let in with something that I ask her on many occasions as she was thinking about getting her DMP and and going back to school um, after she had been rather seasoned in the industry. You know, my my first question was why? Mm -hmm. What do you hope to do with this? Are you planning to go in education? Because this is not going to give you one dime of more money. Mm -hmm. And I hear this from CRNAs all the time. I would never do this. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost me thousands of dollars. Some people, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Miss Pierce. Mm -hmm. Um, Less money for you to manage. Well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Less money for you to go on cruises with. But, but yes, so... You know, that is a big point out there. You know, if you've got someone who's master's prepared, um, why, in your opinion, would they want to go back if they have no intention of ever teaching? Mm-hmm. Why would they want to do this? Why would you put yourself through it? Why would you pay the money? You, you can hear in his voice. <laughs> I clearly am not still convinced. Him, so well, it's your turn. No, to I mean, I, it, it's just questions I, that I think I every CRNA is probably asking yes, themselves right yes, now. I so, do agree. Yeah, they are legitimate questions, and I, I for the first thing I'll say is I get it. Like I was there, I went through the same, uh, you know, the same thought process, the same hurdles that I had to jump myself. Meanwhile, at the time for me, it was 2020 and I had only been out of school for two years. I still had student debt for my master's, you right. know, which is another barrier that a lot of the new graduates will say is like, maybe I should pay off my student loans first before I go back and get into more debt, you know, right. which I, I totally get. I think that, you know, that's as, that is a reasonable thing to think. I'll also say work where I work, maybe places are other places are different, but where I work doesn't yet pay more for the doctorate degree. I, right. I, I have a feeling that the system is moving that way in the next like five years, 10 years. But you know, 
if you start today, by the time you finish, you're still not going to get paid more for it. So. I'll debate you about that one too. Maybe. But anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if your argument is, well, the BSNs don't make more than the ADNs because it's all doing the same work, then you know, I think that's a legitimate question. No, I, the argument really is is the the supply demand problem. If they start paying masters prepared less than they do doctorate prepared, they're going to have a big issue because there's not enough CRNAs right now, mm-hmm. and mm. you know, I, I just again, I've heard that, and I. You know, when you look at the numbers on that front, I mean, you know, you still got a few people around who were um, diploma. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm. yeah, and they made the same amount, you know. It's amazing what the shortage drives in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It has so much influence beyond any, like anything that you would think that it should have an influence on. I mean, it is so powerful. It, it really is. It really is. I, yeah. And, you know, and, and even, you know, we can digress in a minute, but, it, but I mean, with the things that are going on with anesthesiologists and AAs and you, you don't want to splinter in travel nurses, you, you can't splinter your industry when you're in these other battles. Battles. Yeah. You do so. not want to fight on more than one flank. No, no. It's a good point. You've lived that, haven't you, Miss Pierce? Have I not? <laughs> so, Definitely anyway, have I not? So, anyway. Well, that. you're right. I mean, it's um, it's not going to immediately at least get you more money, although I think what the doctorate prepared people would say is that they have research and evidence from their projects that show that their value extends beyond the operating room, and right. that's the origin of okay. why ding, they should ding, make more ding, money. Ding, and that's ding. the key. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the point I really want to get across because Sharon really has kind of helped me see that. So, yeah. So, you know, you're you're still providing anesthesia. You're still taking patients through induction, maintenance and emergence. But also at the same time, you're doing quality improvement. You know, th- these things are difficult to measure. But if you go through your doctorate program, figure out how to and how to do it well and how to present it well yeah. to the hospital and institution, then all of a sudden you're saying, look, I'm doctor prepared. And this is what I bring that someone who doesn't have a doctorate doesn't bring and now maybe i should make a little bit more money for it i don't know yeah it's an argument it's a yeah. thought yeah. but maybe no, your maybe your institution does have some sort of like <coughs> tuition pay assistance or you know educational money which is kind of a common benefit for crnas that could at least take the edge off the pain of you know paying tuition to go back mine did which is really helpful they paid it for like a quarter of my tuition which oh that's is, nice yeah super yeah. nice um so anyway wh- what i would say is that i think that viewpoint of like if I'm not getting an immediate reward for this, then I don't really see the benefit of it is maybe like a little bit nearsighted. Okay. I think the question of like, is now the right time to get my doctorate is a little bit like saying is now the right time to put money toward my retirement. Yeah. Mm, I'm speaking towards your ethos. Yeah. I got it. I like it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The answer is yes. Yes. Absolutely. It is absolutely. No matter where you are. Like if you're, if you are looking at your career and you think maybe I have only 10 years left, my doctorate is probably not worth it. No, it is. You know, in the same way that if you had no retirement, putting money towards your retirement with 10 years still retirement is still worth it. There yeah. you go. That's yeah. good. That was good. So, he did that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. What about CRNAs who say it's really not my job to address some of these problems maybe in the workforce? You know, yes, I'll get my DMP um, and I'll learn how to do all of this, but is it really my job? The people who say that's not my job, I say it's not. I think right. kind of maybe it is, you know, like, although honestly, I get, I get that too. I know that there are a lot of CRNAs who they kind of tuck themselves in behind the drapes and they give anesthesia and a good day for them is like at the end of the day, the surgeon never learned their name. Like that's a good day. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause yep. nothing went wrong. Not, right. You know, just, I was an invisible person and then I'm, I'm gone. Yep. And it's easy to think you like, you just want to do that in anesthesia school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay My on friend the Jerry Hogan said when he, when he graduated, <laughs> he wanted to walk across the stage and everybody go, 
Who is that guy? <laughs> nice. Hey, nobody wanted Sandy to know their name, right? Oh, God. Right. Well, that's the one that had to push me out of the way from in front of her desk because she always uh, had me in the office. It is surprisingly easy and kind of comfortable to be anonymous, you know, mm-hmm. because, you, you know, you work in a box inside the hospital, in the bowels of the hospital, with no windows to usually some right. places do, but right. and then you further seclude yourself behind, between the drapes and the anesthesia machine. <laughs> That's you, true. So you know right. you got like a cave within a cave. So it's easy to forget that you really are like working in a bigger system that you know turns according to the gears that you provide. You know, <laughs> I just had this this picture come up of all these really extroverted CRNAs out there who really are battling to be an introvert. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're just battling. They're they're really extroverted, but they want to be introverts. You know? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I mean, I know you don't want to be an introvert, but <laughs> but I mean, I'm just picturing all these CRNAs, you know, behind the drape, and they're in the bowels of the hospital, you know, and they're happy. They're like, leave me alone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, this is where I belong. <laughs> yeah. this, the same can be said about advocacy, and mm. we've gone down this yeah, path. Yeah, that's true. Uh, some people don't want to do it. They just want to go sit on the stool. They want to go home. Yes. And not drive yeah. two hours to Raleigh and two hours back mm-hmm. and spend right. eight hours down there talking to all the legislators, that kind of thing. So, but I think that there are subsets of CRNAs, and as long as we can stratify mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so that we can hit all points yes. beyond. Well, I think the other thing that I see is that most CRNAs, you're, you're really a lot of them are lifelong learners anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, they're the smartest people I know. Well, yeah, and I, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, do I notice a difference? Because, you know, we go around a lot of the anesthesia schools and, and talk with the SRNAs. I notice a big difference from just, you know, I've been doing this for a few years, from five years ago or 10 years ago talking to students to talking to students now. And, man, these students they are smart. I mm-hmm. mean, they've got it on the ball and it is a different feel. And I even, you know, depending upon where I go, there's different feel to different students. And I guess that lends itself to the university, but, but, but they're smart. Well, and, they can Google anything. They can get an answer right now. Right. For anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a different feel, but Devin, one thing is in my mind, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Do okay. you kind of have a secret agenda? Do you want to teach one day? I mean, I know you're at a teaching facility mm-hmm. now, yeah. but I mean, longer term, is that something on your agenda? It is something that I think I would enjoy and be good at, but I don't know that I, I think I would miss the clinical setting too much personally. Cause gotcha. what, what I really want is clinical expertise. Like I want to be okay. in the room where it happens, you know, I yeah. want to do provide anesthesia right so the patient doesn't have anesthesia they meet me and then they have anesthesia that'll change maybe it will (laughs) a little bit as you get older i mean you know i've been given anesthesia almost 31 years Mm. and i still love it yeah still i still get that charge that's so great but i want to do it every day (laughs) anymore (laughs) right Right? yeah yeah i mean sometimes on a monday morning at 5 30 Whenever I'm sitting on a 400-pounder mm-hmm. with a bad airway in yeah. an office all by myself and mm. doing an upper on them, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, no, I get that. But I think one thing that you're kind of hinting at, though, maybe is um, this idea that the doctorate degree is for education is, good point. I think, starting to become antiquated. Like, originally, maybe when it, was, when it first grew into existence that was what it was for or what it kind of lent right. itself towards right but with the requirement coming in 2025 for all the new graduates to have their doctorate really it's practice now so like if you want to be a practicing crna and let's say your daughter's in nursing school she's going to go to critical care a couple years of experience from now she wants to go to crna school maybe it's 2027 okay so she's looking at graduating in 2030 she's got to get her doctorate there's no other option yeah, absolutely so in order for her to practice as a crna she has to be a doctor right but so, i think what jeremy saw and i saw too immediately and why he asked that question mm-hmm. what did you do for your project you taught i did teach yes yeah, you did i did and uh the the you know the the problem that i saw in the workplace lent itself toward my skills because i i kind of think I, f- I like to teach i, f- I think i'm kind of good at it and then that was the need that the hospital had at the time. And so, um, so what you were back to your question from, from a second ago, 
all those things came together at the same time that I was thinking about or knew about the existence of the DNP and the postmasters program and different postmasters programs around. Yeah. So I kind of realized like what I'm going to do this regardless because it has to be done. It's like necessary. It's timely. The hospital's support is there. You know, all I have to do is put it together and that's going to be like fun work for me because I do like to teach right? and not like kind of grinding work, you know, like it, so there are some people out there who love sitting at a bench and looking through a microscope and doing research like that. Right. And that is Absolutely. not me. Yeah. This is what I like to do. And that was why it came about. So I knew I was going to do it regardless. And so then it made sense to say, I should go back and get my doctorate out of this. Cause if I'm going to do the project, I might as well get the degree. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I, I look at this also from a logical standpoint in where we are just in the CRNA community, when you've got, and the average age of a CRNA is 51 now, mm-hmm. I think, right at it. Um, and, you know, you're going to have almost half of the population retire in the next 10 years. So, I mean, I mean, really, when CRNAs out there are looking at this, there's probably a 10 to 15-year, maybe 20-year period that you're still going to have CRNAs around that mm-hmm. aren't going to be DMPs or DNAPs. Um, and after that, it's all going to, they're all going to be doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, th- there's this time period, and that just so happens to coincide with something Randy Moore said to us before is, you know, this market is going to be like this for 10, 12 more years in terms of being tight and, and so forth. And um, in, in my mind, it all coincides together. And then there's going to be a subset of the community like you two who are going to be practicing masters prepared and then decide to go back and get your DMP. So we're probably really talking about in 10 years from now, a third of the CRNA population that will not be Dr. Right. Pierce. So you kind of foreshadowed this. Let's talk about trying to find your, your project. I've got, I've got a girlfriend Dana, who's going back right mm, now, yeah. and she's hashing through this, and we had a discussion just the other day, and one of her ideas, she said, are you making fun of me? I go, yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> you don't want to do that, because whatever you do, you got to love it, Yeah, because you're going to have to live it, and then I had somebody else call me yesterday, but why don't you talk about some ideas about how to find your project? Sure. So... With my example, like I said a second ago, I knew that there needed to be some on-the-job training that happened. I personally had been through some as a RN before I went back to graduate school that I really admired. And so I had a little bit of a template in my head. I was like, I want to create that for this population. And so for that, that kind of like made itself. And I, I saw that it could exist in the in the space that pre-existed before we got there. Okay. So the infrastructure was there already. And I think what I would say to people who are looking to see where to start their project is find something that you're passionate about because you're going to be working at it. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was professional development. And second of all, start with the problem because you see the problem. I already know that you do because every break room is full of them. You know, you Mm -hmm. get, you get a break room together, you get a bunch of CRNAs together. That is good. You will hear them talk about the problems in the workplace. And honestly, the break rooms are also huge sources of the solutions to those problems. It's like a place of catharsis and (laughs) crowdsourcing. It's like you, you, when you get together with a bunch of CRNAs who all work at a place, they all know the problems. And so making the hard part, the biggest barrier is like deciding to fix the problem, just deciding Mm -hmm. to fix it. And so think about all the long list of problems that your workplace has, because there's a long list and you probably, if you sat down with a pen, I bet you can name 10, then pick one of them that speaks to your passions. And if your passion like me is professional development, then that's great. If it's something like we don't do any research here, but we probably should because I like research, then go for that one. Mm -hmm. If your thing is quality improvement and you think, man, we are horribly inefficient. Our turnovers are horrible. I, I, I sit around more than I actually do anesthesia and that's preposterous from the institution's point of view. Right. Then if, if that's your thing, because maybe you're a numbers person, yeah, then that could be, your project, you know? So start with the problems and then find one that really speaks to your passion. Or the business side of anesthesia, you know, I mean, if you're business minded, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's only going to grow, I think. Absolutely that it is. True. Absolutely it is. Well, hey, Sharon. We've got some exciting news to share with people today, don't we? Yes, we do. And why don't you let the cat out of the bag, Jeremy? <laughs> wow. I don't usually put cats in bags. Is that kind of a deep-seated <laughs> thing with you or what? You know? uh, well, you know, some of our listeners know we've been doing live podcasts around the country at different state association meetings, A&A events, and so forth. And May 4th through the 7th, we're actually going to be at the Pennsylvania State Meeting. Sharon, you've been there a lot and spoken a lot there um, at the Hotel Hershey. Um, yes. Yeah, and I've never been to the Hotel Hershey. So I'm kind oh, of my gosh, you are that. in for a treat. When you check in, they ask you milk or dark because you get chocolate when you check in. It's, it's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to go to a great meeting, Pennsylvania puts on a great meeting. We'll be doing the live podcast taping there. And they're going to be having a party there, too. And guess who the DJ is? Uh, let me think. Does his last name end with Pierce? Yes, it does. DJ so, Pierce come will be join us. <laughs> Can't leave the house without him anymore, you know? That's right. So, Join us in in Pennsylvania at the Hotel Hershey, May 4th through the 7th, and come to a great meeting. So, you know, if someone is kind of teetering here, Devin, they're mm-hmm. thinking, you know, maybe, maybe not. Should I do this? How would you tell them to kind of get started in that process of, pushing themselves forward here because obviously you went through that with yourself so I did so what I did was I started by asking the nurses who I I was presuming that I might one day in the near future be teaching this class to and said what are the things that you want to learn then I surveyed the anesthesia department separately and said what are the biggest gaps that you see in the labor floor and in specifically what I wanted to focus on is the procedure area. So there were some common answers and Hmm. then I thought, okay, so that should probably be the focus of what I intervene on. And that first step made it easy for me to plan it out. Like I could, I could write it down on paper then, you know, then it, then it existed, you know, you had a framework at that point. Yeah. I had a framework and I kind of had a vision um, after getting that those answers back. And I, that would be one thing that I would encourage people because like Sharon always says, like CRNH is the smartest people out there. Yeah. You should crowdsource. Ask your friends. What? Ask mm. your coworkers. That's a great That's point. A, that That's a really good idea. point. Look, yeah. it's just say, look, you know, I think that I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. What would you advise me to include in it? And mm-hmm. people are going to, people are going to say something and you probably work with 20 people. You're going to get a few different answers, you know, see what the most common answer is and start there yeah i started a summit in north carolina at our state meetings a number of years ago i don't know if they still do it or not but this was when we knew that we were going to a dmp and one of the questions out there was these students hardly know how to give anesthesia and now they've got to come up with a project Mm. well i saw it from the other side of the equation because as somebody who's been involved with the organization, there were always questions that we had. Okay, how many, things that we, we didn't know. How many CRNAs do pain management? Mm, All mm-hmm. kinds of questions. So why didn't we marry these two things and we would have projects that would also benefit the organization as a whole. So we would bring in the board of directors and all of the program directors mm-hmm. and we would identify different areas so that, you know, you kill two birds with one stone. I think that's brilliant as long as the student group is on board with it. You know, it, as a student, it would be like if I was passionate about something, but then the institution said, ask me to do something else. That yeah, would, well, that would yeah. Be still well, have, that, that was never part of it. Good. It was to give them options because sometimes yeah. if you look at a list you go oh no i'm not doing that <laughs> oh well, that might yes. be interesting because when you're looking for idea. the vocal cords man mm. you, you you can't think about 
how many CRNAs in North Carolina do pain control and mm. how many people that affects or, uh, you know, there's a whole host of things. Yeah. But to be able to, instead of just throwing a pebble in a pond, you would kind of have a little bit of guidance there. I don't know if they still do it or not, but states out there, you, if you've got anesthesia programs, it's, it, it's a good idea especially, to do something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Especially for RNs who are just coming to CRNA programs and not uh, CRNAs who already are CRNAs and are thinking exactly. about going back to get their postmasters. Yeah. Because a lot of people want to know that they want to do anesthesia, but don't necessarily know what their doctorate project you know, mm-hmm. should look like. And I think right. having, a, having a list of suggestions, at the very least, would spark ideas. Yeah. Well, that's all good stuff. So, Devin, what's next for you? Well, um, MBA, I mean, you know, where are we going with this? So. <laughs> I think I'm done with school. Okay. Uh, I, I think. Um, so uh, what's next for me? Let's see. Um, there were some things, real briefly, I'll just tell you, that made the project a lot easier for me to do. And there were some things that made it more difficult for me to do. So um, first of all, there was a pre-existing infrastructure already. And mm-hmm. we, so I, we, I work at a big academic center. So there's time that's booked out during the week for educational programs. Okay. So right. we call them like, maybe call them like grand rounds, you know? Yep. And so every Wednesday morning, the CRNAs and the anesthesia staff and the surgical staff would go to their own thing, but the RNs would just have a free morning. And so I kind of usurped that time for myself to teach them, you know, so that they weren't wasting this time and I could use it. Um, There's conference rooms throughout the hospital, right? Because they have to teach people. And so I just used one, you know, and it's already built in with recording equipment and internet Uh and the leadership supported it because of all those problems that I mentioned earlier that we were having. And so that was like, they were encouraging people to go and like, now they insist that people watch these videos as part, you know, that's all benefits from me. Right. The budget was like nil. Um, so that was helpful. And I will say too, that there's always like a baseline of activity at your workplace and you can kind of get in on that as like a current and let it carry you some, you know, there's, there's, it's not static, even though sometimes your workplace seems very static, maybe. Right. Um, it's actually not. There people there really are gears turning, and you can use that to kind of, like, inject your own objectives. And then as far as barriers go, there's always going to be – working with people always has a certain number of um, barriers that maybe you weren't expecting. You know, people can flake out. Things happen. People don't get your email you back. And then I'll say this, too, to people who are thinking about going back to get their doctorate or – or they're starting to maybe consider the idea for the first time listening to this. It's not project completion above all else. Like life doesn't stop, you know, things happen in your life and they are more important than your project, you know, like right. maybe you and your family have a kid or. Which uh, happened to you, right? Yeah. So, which, <laughs> so my son was six weeks old when I started the program oh, wow. and uh, now I have a three month old too. So I have oh. a two and a half year old, a three year old. So yeah, it's funny. My class was like, my son growing was like the metric of time for <laughs> for how long <laughs> for how long in we're in school. Yeah, <laughs> like how long have we been in school? Like, is Alex walking yet? Yeah. Like, oh man, That's he's good. he's talking. Like, we must be close to graduation. <laughs> um, so I would just say, like, don't forget that that those things are more important, and um, right. and don't let that be too you know a barrier to starting. Like, oh, I, you know. I just graduated. I have all these other things that I want to do. And also I want to start a family for me. It was like, I have a six week old, um, but he's probably not the only kid that we want to have. And also he's kind of portable right now and he sleeps a lot. So maybe actually now is a good time to start the program <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it's yeah. only going to get more difficult. As well, you're old. clearly a glass half full kind of guy. I am relentlessly optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and that's a great trait. Uh, two other things that I'll just say like time and energy are like a currency you spend them you know like people say Mm. like i spend time doing this um so when it's gone it's gone you know yeah and so think about that as you're as you're considering like how you want your project to go it's not you know you only have 24 hours in a day maybe you want to dedicate a a certain amount to the project but that comes at an expense right and energy is the same way you spend energy doing things right well you, you know when jeremy was giving me a lot of pushback whenever i decided to go and yale's program is the longest one in the country it's three years long oh gosh and i said you know the next three years are going to go by whether i do this or not yeah that's yeah. right that's exactly how i yeah. thought when i said and i was going to do I, this project yeah i think that's the only time he ever just looked at me and go 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. That right. is true. You can't and argue with that. So. The inertia of the current situation changing to the new situation is a huge barrier to try to overcome, right? Ooh, like, like people that get is so true. It's like you have to act on wow. a moving thing to move it in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. Like inertia is so hard to overcome and, and it in our case like in big academic institutions in the american healthcare system it looks like tradition you know like entrenched tradition is so hard it's mm. like one of the biggest barriers to overcome right like here's a revolutionary thought um physicians are not the only possible leaders in healthcare. that's a huge oh, wow. traditional you're, thought you're to kidding. overcome exactly <laughs> i it's think like, that that is changing dramatically <laughs> it's but it's changing so slowly. Like it seems like, it, from my point of view, it seems like it's taking years and years and years. Yeah, to everybody else seems to have uh, different ideas. The chair of healthcare in the House of Representatives of North Carolina is a contractor. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. So that means I could be a anesthetist, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think that's how it works. Did you watch Grey's Anatomy yesterday? Oh, yeah, I can do this. You want me to give them what? Okay. (laughs) So now that all that's kind of done, you know, it, I have this thing that exists now. So I have this professional development project. It has a template, you know, it's got a, um, a measuring tool, like a, a way to see whether it was a complete flop or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. And well, you know, you talked about your children mm-hmm. and sometimes you, people will push back and say, you need to, you need to focus on your children. Mm-hmm. Now, my challenge to that is if your children see that you find, you found that important then they will too. I mean, when I went to anesthesia school, my twins were three. Wow. And my son was four. Mm-hmm. And they remember me sitting and reading. And what do kids do? They emulate you. Now, yep. they couldn't read, but I'd look around. They'd be sitting there with a big old book looking at the books. <laughs> yeah. And all of my kids. They just want to be like you. Very smart and did very well. But that's what they saw me doing. Yep. So I would challenge people to say they learn from watching you. You're yeah, that role do. model. I agree completely. If you commit yourself to something constructive, your kids will follow along, you know, and whether that's like your kids see you exercising in your home gym or your kids see you spending time with your spouse yeah. and, and the importance of family time, right? Like they, they grow up with that. Um, and I think going to school and valuing education is kind of the same thing. So um, to answer your question, though, like what's next? <laughs> I think um, here's another thing for people who are considering going back to get their doctorate. People sometimes make projects based on what they want to have for themselves, you know? So for me, I made this professional development program in part because in the back of my mind, I wanted something like it for myself, for CRNAs. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted on-the-job training. There's like, I've only been out of school for four years, four and a half years. There's still like a ton of skills and knowledge out there to grab and like things I want to be better at providing anesthesia so i think what's next is what i would love to do is create a professional development program for crnas in the same kind of vein at my program and and come up with ways that we can utilize that pre-existing time that infrastructure that's already there and say like okay who is interested in learning how to do uh peripheral nerve blocks right let's figure out how to do that who's interested in learning how to do an awake intubation we do awake intubations at my hospital every day yeah maybe more than anybody else in the state i don't know maybe but it feels that way (laughs) (laughs) who wants to do them because maybe some maybe you're a new hire from somewhere outside of the state and you didn't get to do a whole lot of that while you were in srna right come to wake like we want to have we have this professional development program that will teach you how to do that like i want to create that so i think that's what my that would be my dream of like what's next i would like to make that happen Hmm. i think that's great so as we wrap it up here, anything you want to conclude on, Devin? Um, I'll just briefly say, um, you know, I think we've touched on this a little bit, but nursing as a profession is undergoing this major change. Um, and it's not new today. Like, I really think that nursing is maybe more than any other profession improved itself over the last 50 years in nurse anesthesia specifically, mm-hmm. you know? So as you can just see it from the degrees that you require, right? Yeah. All the way up, you know, master's in the early 2000s to doctorate in 2025. And I think the movement's all been about empowerment, and I would I just encourage people to not let themselves um, 
resist empowerment and to say, uh, you know, it might sound weird to call yourself a doctor when you're a nurse, but that's just because it's new and all new things sound weird at first. So try not to let that put too much weight on you. Mm-hmm. And that's right. None of you men understand because y'all don't have to change your last name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you're right. It's true. And I think a lot of the nursing empowerment has been about empowering women in that same regard. Um, it, but I, I think in a generation from now, it's going to be normal. Yeah. So, yep. you know, I know it, it may, it might sound weird now, but just I go be a part of making the healthcare system better. And while you're at it, go back and get your doctorate. There you go. There you go. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to beyond the mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. Sharon, if they like our show and want to learn more, how can they help us? And maybe learn a little bit at the same time. Well, the best way to help us to grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. That helps people to find us, help us to grow, share us on social media, tell all your friends. I found out yesterday another CRNA didn't know you could get Class B credits Mm. with our podcast. It just amazes me. Yeah. Maybe we're not doing such a great job. I know, you know? right? So, Devin, thank you. <laughs> thank you, and guys. Especially for being here with us today. Yeah, it's and been for a pleasure. All the good you're doing out in the community. You know, as a student, uh, you know, I think we kind of knew you were going to be one of those rock stars. So. Yes, we did. Um, so, but thank you. And thanks to our listeners for listening. And we'll see you next time. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.